Welcome to the Radio 191 FM podcast. Concerns are growing over the mounting influence of far-right groups on the processes and outcomes of local body elections, especially given that this year is an election year. Here to speak with us about this is Dr Sanjana Hatatua of the Disinformation Project. Kia ora, Dr Hatatua. Kia ora. What defines the far-right and what separates them from more mainstream conservatives and right-wing traditionalists? Well... That's an interesting question and a great way to start, actually. Thanks for asking that. I think one of the things that we see with the far right and, you know, there are experts in uh, Tharawa who have been studying this for far longer and it's a global movement as well. So um, the point I like to make is a very simple one. Um, the far right is characterized by uh, an, uh, an unhealthy interest in violence. Um, such that I suppose the listeners would recognize is associated oftentimes with neo-Nazism, but also xenophobia, racism, bigotry, sinophobia, uh, transphobia, queerphobia, anti-LGBTIQ, and every imaginable associated harm that you can think of. It's intolerance. Uh, it's a denigration and desecration of everything that we would hold sacrosanct and sacred in democratic discourse. Uh, and that is what invariably defines and colors the far right. And, you know, you find this in the study of what's happening in the United States. Now, that is then a distinction that one needs to make very clearly with the anti-vax, anti-mandate, anti-science communities who are peddling mis- and disinfo, particularly after the pandemic. So what the disinfo project is seeing quite disturbingly is an interconnection between the two in the landscapes that we study. However... I want to make this very clear. It doesn't mean that everybody who's anti-science, anti-bandit and anti-vax is from or subscribes to the far right. What we are seeing is a overlapping and a kind of a very worrying connection between the two in terms of how neo-Nazi and far right frames are being introduced to uh, there was anti-vax, anti-mandate, anti-science communities, but that distinction needs to be very, very clearly made, if that makes any sense to the listeners. It's a very complicated issue. Yeah, yeah. And obviously this is true because more and more local body politicians are championing these kind of conspiracy theories, yes. such as um, former Hamilton City Councilor Siggy Henry, who was famously um, anti-fluoridation, and Thames Coromandel Mayor Sandra Gowdy, who was very public about her vaccine hesitancy in the last few years. Mm. How do we know there is a growing presence of the far right in these local elections, and what platforms are they running on? Well, I don't know about the far right's growing involvement and interest in uh, the local government elections there is as we speak today very serious and grounded concerns about a particular neo-nazi who's standing for a board of trustees uh, nominations process in Christchurch now that is not to say that they are uh, more prevalent in the LG nominations and uh, insofar as the candidates that we are aware of however what is of concern is that the anti-vax anti-mandate anti-mask anti-science mis and disinfo communities are putting forward their candidates so you're quite right in what you said it's uh, bizarrely pre-pandemic conspiratorialism linked to fluoridation, 1080, 3G, 5G, anti-climate, you know, so climate change mm. denialism and a whole cornucopia of conspiracies mingled and bangled with now anti-vax frames as well. And the concern is that there is a very powerful network of individuals across the country who are propping up these candidates to stand for local government elections. That is very clear. And the simplest answer is that they say, say, them, uh, say themselves. So it's not my interpretation. It's the networks themselves saying that we want to promote and project you, uh, you know, and, 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 and give you the uh, material that will help you in your candidature. Uh, and your elect uh, in your in your bid for uh, you know whatever thing that you're standing up for at the local government level. So that is very very clear, uh, insofar as the communications they themselves have put out. Do we understand, or are we beginning to understand, what kind of drives this 
confluence relationship between mm. the anti-vaccine and anti-mandate movement and, and the far right. Are we really starting to understand that, or are we still a ways away to really kind of getting the relationship down-packed, if you will? Your questions are so interesting that I don't have the time to answer. <laughs> um, so that's the, that's the pri- primary challenge, which is uh, you know, uh, due credit to your research. Um, listen, at the end of the day, uh, what is disturbing insofar as what these two and a half years and a bit have done to the country is that what the WHO calls the infodemic, what we call the uh, uh, information disorders or mis- and disinformation, have provided an accelerant to what is in academic studies called accelerationism, which is to hollow out democracy from within and bring about end states that erode social cohesion. And I use the term social cohesion because it will be resonant with listeners as a consequence of the Christchurch Commission, mm, Royal Commission's mm. report, and its stress on it as integral and important for Aotearoa's democratic potential and future. So what the pandemic has done in mainstreaming mis- and disinformation in a way for Aotearoa, New Zealand, has never happened before. When I come from in Sri Lanka, this is part and parcel of what we grew up with, right? And I think that another part of your question is the degree to which the country sees this as a risk. I'm not being alarmist in saying and stating publicly, even before this uh, program, that it is a significant risk. Because if you take a look at the United States and other countries, what starts off at the local government doesn't stay in local government. Mm. What starts off online doesn't stay online. There are long-term consequences and there are offline consequences to what is occurring today, going on and wrong online. So we are likely to see these trends kind of continue, if not ramp up, Most um, going into next year's national Most election. Def- the, the, absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, lots of people are concerned about 2023. My point is simply that, yes, you should, you should be concerned about the LGNZ this year and about the general elections in 2023, which is going to be fundamentally different to what we uh, you know, countenanced in October 2020. My, my, it's a very simple stress that I make. I don't think that many people fully appreciate the fact that your democratic firmament is changing. It's not just 2023's election. It's the manner in which we engage with difference. It's the manner in which we see democracy. It's the nature, nurture, it's, it's the nature of democratic institutions and the nurture of conversations around it. You're talking about a fundamental revision to, 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 to the country's constitution. Uh, you know, and that is a real risk that we need to, 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 to really recognize in order to then talk about addressing it. One kind of last question for you, and pivoting a little bit, because recent law reform has kind of removed the requirement for councillors to physically identify their addresses in election ads. Yes. Uh, while the internet is often used as a platform for abuse, what enables voters to target politicians more frequently in today's world in this new kind of democratic filament? Well, it's a, it's a culture of permissiveness. It's a license to uh, spew hate, hurt and harm. Uh, it's the lack of any kind of pushback. Uh, it's the vulgarity and the violative nature and the viciousness of the content and commentary. It's the open platforming of hate, hurt and harm. And I can't, for the fact that this is a live broadcast, actually articulate some of what the Disinfo Project sees on a daily basis. So in a strange way, it's become normal to talk about things in a very violent manner. 
happen is that you're just talking about it. But we take uh, what's called a dangerous speech-based appreciation of it. And, you know, if you take Rwanda, if you take Sri Lanka, if you take any country, including post-2016 United States and what Trump did to political discourse leading up to the 6th of January, um, any country, any context, any community at any time, that has accommodated dangerous speech to the levels that we are seeing now today in Aotearoa, New Zealand, hasn't been able to contain them just in online spaces. There are invariably offline consequences. So that's then the concern that we have uh, around all of this, uh, even beyond the general election of 2023. Dr. Hatatua, thank you for speaking to us about this very important issue today. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.